I wanted to talk to you today. We're going to be taking a, uh, some nominations for adding some elders and deacons or, or a, a few or a uh, or something, um, nominations for elders and deacons next week. Um, and basically that process is described in our church constitution. We basically, the church body nominates people that they feel meets the qualification of being an elder or a deacon. And uh, the, the qualifications in the scriptures are very distinct. Um, they share some commonalities, but they're very distinct about what the, the role and the responsibility and the qualifications of elders and deacons are. I'm going to touch today on what are the qualifications of, um, of elders, and then next week we'll talk about the qualifications of deacons. And um, I tell you, it's, um, it, it may be, a, is anyone else warm? Is, is it just me? Are y'all warm? Yeah, Jason's always warm. Clint, uh, thank you, Tim, fixing that for me. Thank you. All right. Huh? You're warm? Oh, that sounds... Brenda's warm. It must be hot in here. All right. Um, and I don't want to... Um, we're going to go through the qualifications, and I don't want you to be lost in the list of what the qualifications are this morning, because really, really, what, what we read here in the qualifications of elders is really supposed to be... The majority of it is supposed to be something that we're all to be trying to attain to. Right? So, so don't be lost thinking, well, this isn't really for me. Um, it, it is for all of us. These are marks of maturity um, for the most part. There are a few qualifications and a few giftings that are specific for eldership, but these are all marks of maturity also. And these are something that is supposed to be true. A lot of these are supposed to be true in the life of any believer who is growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. All right. So don't zone out on me. This is good stuff, not just for um, our vote here in a, in next week, but also it's important as marks of maturity so that you can see, if I'm a Christian, what is it, what is it my goal? What is it I'm attaining to? What is it I'm trying to be? What's it look like? Um, you can take the majority of these and see what a mature Christian looks like. Amen? So uh, we're going to study that this morning. Um, there are two specific parts in the, in the epistles and what's, what's referred to as the pastoral epistles where we see... Um, Paul describing what the qualifications are or the attributes of an elder should be. And um, before we go on very much longer, I just want to tell you um, what I said something next week, and I'll say again next, I'm sorry, last week, and I'll say again next week, there I got it, um, is this, the church cannot just appoint and train someone to be an elder or a deacon, right? We read last week that it is Jesus Christ who gives gifts to men and he gave some to be pastors, teachers, prophets, all that other stuff. But it is, it is basically God who, and the, uh, who, uh, who gives people certain gifts and, and brings people up in maturity. And so the church can't make elders. Are you with me? The church can't make elders. The church can't make de deacons. Now, we can be part of the process in raising people up and maturing them to come to Jesus Christ. All we can do is recognize God's mark on them and say, yes, this person has the attributes that's described in the Scriptures to, to, be fu to fulfill the role and the calling of being an elder or a deacon. You see what I mean? So I can't, you can't take someone and say, maybe one day they'll be a good elder, or maybe one day they'll be a good deacon, so we'll just make them one. It doesn't work like that. In the church, you have to be able to recognize the attributes before they come into the office. You know what I'm saying? They have to attain a, a level of maturity in their faith and the people of the church be able to recognize it, and we, and we all together say, yes, we recognize their maturity. We recognize the gifts of leadership that God's given them, and then you appoint them as, as elders or deacons in the church body. Everybody with me? 
Everybody with me? That's how the process works. It's a recognition of what God has done when they attain the, the position of the office. So let's read together in those, uh, in those passages in 1 Timothy and Titus. If you have your Bibles with you, this is what we've, I've been having you guys read this last couple of weeks in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. You can see it on the big screen behind me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Let me pause there just for a minute before we get into the attributes and just tell you, it is a noble thing to serve the church. That's where you're supposed to say amen, really. Okay. All right. Everybody all right? A little too warm? Everybody's got a little too relaxed, a little tired with the heat in here? All right. Um, it, is, it is a noble thing to serve the church, and that's what really an elder is about. That's what Jesus taught. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. If you want to be first, you've got to be the servant of all, right? And uh, it is a noble thing. It's also a privilege to be part of the, uh, be part of the, uh, of the eldership uh, of a church. Um, and, and let me talk about that for just a minute. Um, I noticed something, and this isn't really, I, I didn't pull this out of, the, out of the scripture, so just take this as David's um, 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 uh, viewpoint. But, you know, I see, you see people growing spiritually um, in the church and, and different levels, and, and I can see it myself, I think you can probably see it in yours. Uh, but the first step in, in spiritual growth is really a mindset of, of a recognition of what God has done for me. That's really the first thing. When you're a spiritual babe, that's really the first realization that you come to is what God has done for me, um, right? You're heavy in your sin, and then one day you learn that God has a way through the death of Jesus Christ that he's redeemed you and rescued you from your sin and for the punishment of your sin, and you recognize, ah, oh, this is what God has done for me. That's kind of the first step in spiritual growth. The next step is, is that you start to realize is, or you start to think about, well, what, what can the church do for me? What does the church do for me? And you start getting involved in the church in different fellowships and hopefully further into not just fellowship but also in just genuine community with the church. And then hopefully beyond that, even into discipleship with certain people within the church body. Amen? But the first thing is, what can God do for me? The second is, what can the church do for me? And let me just be real painfully obvious or really painfully honest with you this morning. Most people don't get beyond that. Most people don't go beyond that step in their Christian maturity. Most people stop with the mindset is, what can the church do for me? And they don't really progress beyond that. That's not a good thing. It, it's not a good thing. Um, I, I was talking to some friends of mine who um, led a couple to the Lord later in their life. They had, they had children, and, and um, they, uh, they came to know the Lord and, and uh, really you know, taught them to use their Bibles, taught them how to, how to disciple themselves, how to, how to, how to, how to use the Word, and, and how to feed themselves. And then they, they stopped seeing them. They stopped coming to their church for some time, and, and uh, they, they ran into them a few days later and said, well, you know, and realize these are, these are newborn Christians, right? Adults, but newborn Christians. Um, and they asked them, well, you know, where you guys been? We've been missing you. And they said, well, um, one of the churches in Amarillo has an indoor playset that our children really like, and so we, we started attending there. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, and so they, they decided where to go based on, you know, where their children had the most fun at, uh, on the indoor playset. Now, I've been that kind of Christian. Have you been that kind of Christian? I've been that kind of Christian who work, looks at a church and says, what does, can this church do for me, right? Um, 
and, uh, and, and, and there's certainly a part of that that's, that's, that's a legitimate need. We all have a legitimate need to be part of a church and part of community, and we have that legitimate need. But that's step two in growth. Step three is, is that you begin to realize that you can feed yourself. And, and so it's instead of not just what God has done for me but what, and what can the church do for me, but then it becomes, well, what can I do for myself? And people begin to realize is that, you know, I can study the Scriptures on my own, right? I can pray to God. I can have my own prayer life, not just in church. I can, I can have my own Bible study, and I can be learning from the Word of God myself. And there's this thing called priesthood of the believer that I can go to God all on my own without the intercession of a, of a church leader. And that's the third step. And just to be real honest with you, most people in church don't get there. Yeah? It's not a good thing, but most people in today's church don't get even to that step where they begin feeding themselves. The fourth step is where they begin to be service-minded and they begin to start thinking and believing, what can I do for others? Not just what has God done for me, what can the church do for me, what can I do for, my, for myself? But then the last thing in spiritual maturity really is, what can I do for others? Because of all that God has done for me, for what he's equipped me with, and they begin to start exploring and realizing that God's gifted them and he's called them to certain ministries and they begin exploring all of that and then they turn and they start serving other people and loving other people like they've been loved, right? That's kind of the last thing in spiritual maturity. And, uh, uh, and most people don't get there, but the ones that do and the ones that progress in maturity and the ones that have an ability to teach and to manage and to lead, those are the people that God calls oftentimes into eldership in a church, all right? So let's continue in First Timothy now in, in uh, chapter 3. First Timothy 3 now in verse 2. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how he can manage his own family well, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. All right, so that's the first teaching that Paul has, and we're going to go through each of those attributes here in just a minute. Uh, but um, I wanted to, before we did that, I wanted to show you at the bottom of the back page, there are uh, the roles of elders on your sheet there about what, is, what an elder is to do. And you'll notice, basically, I, um, this, is, this sermon was easy for me because I just took exactly out of our constitution. Our church constitution says what the roles and the qualifications of, of elders are, and I've just listed them here for your convenience. So uh, anyway, here you go. Um, elders are to shepherd the flock from Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5. They're to care for and protect and to feed and, and just nourish and take care of the people within the church body. It is their role, and the, the Bible uses the term under-shepherd. You're an under-shepherd when God is the shepherd or Jesus Christ is the shepherd. You're an under-shepherd taking care of the church body on behalf of God, on behalf of Jesus Christ, and we're to care for the church body as individuals. Let me say real quick before we go on, the, the ability to have an office in, in the church of, as an elder, a deacon, or a ministry leader of, of any sort is not about decision-making. I hit that a lot last week. There is some decision-making in it, but for the most part, it's about leading and caring 
for people. Amen? It is shepherding primarily, right? Uh, in a lot of places, they get it wrong. In a lot of places, um, the deacon board wants to make all the decisions and they don't care what anyone else thinks. In a lot of places, the elders want to make all the decisions and they don't care what anyone else thinks. That is not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is leading people along, caring for them, serving them, doing what's best for them, and not just what you think is best all the time, even though we always, of course, try to do what's best and, and take for under consideration what, what God would have us to do. But anyway, the next thing is the role of an elder is to lead through example. Um, um, we're supposed to be examples in serving God and being examples of service to the rest of the church body. We're supposed to teach and exhort. This is one of the main differences between elders and deacons. Deacons don't have to have the gifting to be able to teach. Elders, however, need to have the ability to teach people. They need to be able to open the Word and expound upon what the Word of God says. They need to be able to very clearly say and state what the gospel is, what the teachings of the Scripture are. They need to be able to teach and exhort. And that has to do with what they do with insiders, with people within the church. It's a teaching ministry. It's a, it's a proclaiming ministry of the Word. The other thing is, is they need to be able to refute those who contradict the truth. This is one that's a little bit fun sometimes. Not really. This is one that kind of gets difficult. This is one if you have someone in your church body who's teaching error, you'd correct them or you run them out. Th th that's basically what is given in Scripture for the examples. You correct them and they respond or you run them out. Uh, but there's a lot of the Scripture, especially you guys have been reading in First and Second Timothy. You notice how many times and how, how many times Paul's told Timothy as a young pastor there in Ephesus, God, or Paul told Timothy, he said, you protect and guard the truth of the gospel, right? You guard it and you protect it and you don't allow and you don't even get involved in the arguments. There's a lot of Gnosticism that was al uh, alive in that time in Ephesus and, and you can see through the, the uh, epistle of Ephesians and also through First uh, and Second Timothy, Paul was teaching and refuting uh, the false teachings of the Gnostics and he said, have nothing to do with them. You don't allow, the, you don't argue with them. You, you just don't have anything to do with them and you protect the purity of the gospel against those false teachings. And what were the false teachings? They were just adding more stuff. They would say, you know, the world is bad, and so to be really good, you just have to purge yourself of any of your desires. Well, Paul says, right, in First and Second Timothy, he says, now everything is that God created is good. Receive it with thanksgiving and prayer, and it's good, right? And uh, anyway, but he was basically saying, have nothing to do with them. You refute them, and you protect the purity of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, which is one of the, the roles of an elder. The next thing is to manage the church of God. It's an overseeing ministry. It's, it's an, uh, uh, the, the, Paul was telling Timothy, right, you oversee, the, oversee the, the care of the widows. You oversee the distribution of foods, not directly, but you oversee it so that, so that the right people are getting the right food. And the people who, who don't really deserve feeding, you don't feed them. You ask their families to take care of them or, or you don't include them in the distribution of food. And the last thing from James chapter 5 is praying for the sick, praying and anointing the sick is also a role of the elder in the church. Okay. All right. Those are all the roles. Let's go quickly through. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm not done with that. We need to talk about in uh, Titus, Paul's teaching in Titus, and then we'll pull it together, all together there with the, with the uh, qualifications. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, please, just a book to the right there, or two books to the right, I guess. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to read verses 5 through 9. The reason I left you in Crete was that you may straighten out was what was left unfinished. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of the a lot of the books, a lot of Paul's epistles and the book of Revelations, just get the book of Revelation, that some of these books were written within 30 years of the death of Jesus Christ, right? Some of the early books may be sooner than that, but they're written within 30 years, and already there has to be correction of the church. Interesting, isn't it? It's very much unlike today's church, right? Thank you for laughing, Clay. Yeah, very much like today's church, there had to be correction. There had to be course correction. People were veering off from the truth of the gospel. People were allowing in people who were, who were um, in the church who were, who were totally off base morally. And Paul said, kick them out. They don't belong there if they're unrepentant. And, and he corrects them. He said, you don't put up with false teachers. Kick them out. And don't buy into those, to the Judaizers. Don't buy into the Gnostic teaching. Those are false. And you've got to stay true to the gospel. And even in Revelation, right, Jesus speaks to the seven churches, and he's, and he's making course corrections to them. This is very late in the gospel, very late in the New Testament, about A.D. 90, about 60 years after the death of Jesus Christ, and still there has to be correction to the church. So the good news is, very much like the first church, we are, are in good shape if, if, uh, if we need correction, right? Okay. Anyway, uh, still need correction. And notice what one of the remedies was to that. Uh, one of the remedies to straighten out to, uh, to Titus, he said, appoint elders in every town in, as I have directed you. The reason to appoint eldership is that there might be accountability and leadership for the rest of the body, that there might be correction, that there might be teaching, that there might be truth being spoken to the church body so they might know what to do, that they might know what was true and what to hold on to and what things were false and what things to let go of. Anyway, he told them to, to go town to town and to, um, and to appoint elders. An elder, in verse 6, must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right, so there in Titus and 1 Timothy, we see the qualifications for elders. All right. Do you notice how much emphasis there is also in Titus about holding to the truth of the, of the gospel? One of the things that has to be true of elders is they have to know and comprehend and be able to express the truth of the gospel and hold to it firmly, right? If someone has any wavering about the truth of the gospel or any wavering about adding something to the gospel that ain't there, uh, not, a, not an elder, right? Right, okay. Because that's one of the main things, to be able to, to preach, to teach, to hold firm the course about the truth of the gospel. Okay, we're going to go through this really quickly about the qualifications of elders. And as we do this, there are a couple of things I want you to think about. I want you to think about which of these apply to you as just a believer and a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, because most of them do. These are the things that as we look through, we should be able to say, this is true of me, or I want it to be true of me, or I want it to be more true of me. And really, in any of these kind of, any of us say that we're 100% there, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, this, but the other thing is, is, is that as, as you look through these things, these are the people that we're looking for you to nominate. These are the characteristics of the people that, you, that we want you to nominate. If there is someone who doesn't meet these qualifications, obviously, we don't want to have the no, them nominated. And, and listen, there's no shame in not being an elder, right? 
you know, uh, the majority of you here are not elders, true? Yeah, there's no shame in that. Each of us has a role and responsibility within, within, the, within the, the, the church body. Each of us has a role and responsibility, a calling and a gifting. And all of those work together, and all of them are honorable and pleasing to God when we fulfill our role and our giftings. Amen? Okay. But may these be true of us also. All right. First one is above reproach. This is, again, this is right out of our church constitution. I didn't even have to interpret this for you. Uh, it's been done by wise and spiritual men before me. So, elders must be blameless, presenting no patterns of spiritual disobedience or grounds of accusation, right? They should be above reproach. That means that their life is lived in such a way that they have accountability. They live in such a way that no one can come to them with, with an accusation. If someone came to them with an accusation, other people would walk around go, what, really? God can't believe that? Yeah, that's the kind of person that you're looking for. Elders, if married, must be devoted spouses. A previous marriage does not necessarily disqualify, necessarily disqualify. Um, we don't have anyone now who is on staff as a deacon or elder um, who's, who's ha- has had previous marriages. However, this is a hot topic of controversy, right? Everybody heard this one, right? Um, <clears throat> if you've been in church for very long. Our, our church constitution allows for um, the discretion of the elders and deacons to look at a, a man's life, if, if he's been previously married, or if his wife has died or divorced, uh, we allow them to look and to see. But basically, let me tell you, the language there in Titus and in Timothy says he is to be a one-man, sorry, a one-woman man. I'll get in a minute. Uh, gender confusion. Uh, 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 a one-man woman. A uh, one-woman man. Okay. Write that down. A one-woman man. Okay, there we go. Basically, what this is saying is if he's married, he should be faithful and devoted to his wife, right? With no question, that there is no question to his faithfulness. <clears throat> Amen? That's what, it, <clears throat> that's what it's referring to. Anyway, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm choking. <clears throat> A one-woman man. Now that I have it written in my notes, I won't mess it up again. All right, there we go. A one-woman man. Uh, a faithful... Wait, did I say it wrong again? Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jason. You know, we talked about it might be good to have a projector in the back so that I could see my notes up there. Sometimes I wander away from them. Okay. Uh, next, he must be temperate. Um, in other words, he must be self-controlled, enslaved to nothing, right? He's not enslaved to any given sin. He's not walking in continuous disobedience, but he's temperate, free from excesses. He doesn't have problems being, being in excess with various things. Uh, prudent, he must be sober, sensible, wise, balanced in judgment, not given to quick, superficial decisions based on immature thinking. All right, uh, prudent. Um, elders must demonstrate a well-ordered life and good behavior. There ought to be some discipline to their life. There ought to be some self-discipline in, in, in their life. The next thing, hospitable. Elders must be unselfish with their personal resources. They must be willing to share blessings with, their, with others. They must be hospitable, welcoming people into their homes, desiring fellowship, and also sharing their, their, their stuff, sharing their, their um, personal resources with other people. Able to teach, this again is what makes de- elders a little bit different from deacons, must be able to communicate the truth of God and exhort sound doctrine, doctrine in a non-argumentative way. Next thing, not addicted to wine. Elders must be free from addictions, and here you go, and must be willing to limit their liberty for the sake of others, right? Paul talked about this and taught about this to say, you know, you have the freedom to uh, do things. You have the freedom to drink. You have the freedom to eat. But if if it's a stumbling block to someone else, what? 
You shouldn't do it, right? Okay. Not pugnacious. Elders must be gentle and characterized by forbearance and tenderness, not having a quick temper. All right, this is basically says that we should be able to forbear with each other. The word forbearance in the Scriptures in the New Testament has a lot to do with things that, about other people that annoy you, you should be able to forbear with them. All right. People, again, in the, in, the, in the New Testament days were much different than people today, right? They annoyed each other, right? Unlike today, right? No, we do annoy each other. But um, even so, we should be, we're supposed to all be forbearing with each other. Uh, Paul actually taught that in Colossians for everyone. Uncontentious. Elders must not be given to quarreling or selfish argumentation. Did you all notice when you read First and Second Timothy how many times Paul told Timothy, do not be in arguments with people about silly things, uh, it's, it's not good. Don't be in arguments with them. Don't, don't, don't take part. Uh, so uncontentious. Free from the love of money. Elders must not be stingy, greedy, or out for sordid gain. They should not be preoccupied with amassing material things, but rather should be a model of giving. What did Paul say to Timothy? He said, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. If, if, someone's, um, if someone's really concerned about amassing wealth, not a good candidate for eldership. Manage his own household well. <clears throat> Elders must have a well-ordered household, a healthy family life, and well-behaved children. Pertains to those uh, children who are still under the authority of their parents. Not a new convert. Elders must not be new believers. They must have been Christians long enough to demonstrate the reality of their conversion and the depth of their spirituality. Good reputation with outsiders. This is an interesting point that, that uh, Paul makes. They're supposed to be the same person inside the church and outside the church. Yeah? Important, isn't it? Not to be one kind of person when they're at church and a different kind of person when they're at work. Has anyone ever known anyone like that? Not a good elder candidate. You want the same person, the same um, lack of hypocrisy, um, no matter where they're at, that they act the same, they have the same values, they have the same behavior, no matter where they are, okay? And a good reputation with outsiders. In other words, people who are outside of the church think well of them. Why? Because they're mature Christians, because Jesus Christ has been working on their character, and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in them, and even people on the outside, even people who are unbelievers, can look at them, and they have a good re reputation among even them. Not quick-tempered, must be self-controlled and patient in difficult situations and with difficult people. Love what is good. Elders must desire the will of God in every situation, not just desiring what they want, but desiring what the will of God is in every situation. Just, they must be free and impartial. Um, Paul talked to Timothy about this too. He said there shouldn't be favoritism. There, you should treat all people equally. shouldn't be favoritism with you. There is no favoritism with God. They must, elders must be reverent, continually desiring to be separated from sin, devout to prayer, the study of Scripture, and the guarding of their own spiritual walk. Um, in Acts chapter 20, Paul was leaving the Ephesians, and he was leaving. He, went, he met with some of the elders, and he was leaving uh, that, that area, and he met with some of the elders of Ephesus, and he told them, he told the elders, he said, keep watch over yourselves, right? Isn't that interesting to tell people who are overseers of the church, keep watch over yourself. It is a responsibility for anyone in church ministry, everyone in church ministry, to keep watch over themselves. Paul talked about it too in other terms. He said, he said don't disqualify yourself for the race, right? You're serving well. Don't do something outside. Don't do something uh, uh, that's ridiculous. Don't fall into some sin and some temptation and disqualify you from the race that you're running. Don't be thrown off 
we've seen this happen again. We see it happen over and over and over in the church, at, at, in, at broad, the church in, in, the, in the United States, where some pastor, some teacher, some, someone who's large in ministry ends up falling. And the reason is, is because the, their level of responsibility outpaced their level of accountability, right? They didn't want to make themselves answerable to other people and watch over themselves and hold themselves to account with someone else reading and speaking into their lives, and their responsibilities continued to grow, but their accountability stagnated and stopped, and they fell into sin, and uh, yeah, that's a bad thing. Okay, elders must be uh, tall in the faith. I, I love that. I don't know what they were thinking exactly when they wrote that, but anyway, elders must be tall in the faith. That reminds me of like, I don't know, tall in the saddle? I don't know. Tall in the faith, obedient to the word of God, continually seeking to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are the biblical qualifications of elders. I would like to ask you to take those home with you and look over them. And as you do, pray over them. Pray over these things. First in your own life to say, Lord, where do I need to grow in these areas, but then also to ask the Lord, Lord, show me those people who you've placed to call on in our church body to serve in the role of elders. Would you do that for me this week? All right. All right. Um, let's end this way. Um, what hope do we have that any one of us could be fulfill these kinds of roles, uh, these kinds of qualifications? Anyone just efforted real hard and one day got, you know, a good reputation with everybody and then was suddenly devoted to the Word of God? It uh, doesn't really happen like that. Um, matter of fact, I was talking to Clay about this the other day. Clay was talking to some folks about, you know, Clay journals and, and, uh, and, and reads and is in the Scripture. Um, I don't know that it's every day, but just almost every day anyway. Uh, is in the scriptures, and he was talking to someone about picking up some of those habits, some of those disciplines, some of that training to be in the Word, and to, not just to be in the Word, but to meditate on it so much that you're writing about it, right? It seems real hard if you've not started that to develop the habit today, but Clay, were you born doing that? Weird, huh? How did that happen? It happens through gradual, slow changing, daily walking with the Lord, having his way over our way day by day by day, uh, year after year after year. And over time, there is a production of the fruit of the Spirit. There is a production of a self-discipline and a self-control that you didn't have before. But it starts now. It starts today where you are. If you're not in the Word, get in the Word. It's not going to pay off tomorrow, but in 10 years of your being in the Word, the, the change in you is going to be profound. If you're in the Word, add writing and meditating. Add it. Add it to what you're doing. And in 10 years, the change in you will be profound. Amen? It is a slow and tedious process. And I don't know about you, it is frustrating to me sometimes. Sometimes I would say, Lord, just change me today because I don't want to deal with this fallacy or this, this sin in me anymore. And he says, just walk. Just put one foot in front of the other. Just keep walking with me and submitting to me. And when, you do, when I bring sin about in your life, when I bring a recognition of it, of it, you repent and we'll deal with it and we'll go on. And then tomorrow, we'll do it again. And then the next day, we'll do it again and we'll do it again. And there is a slow, steady change in the maturing of a believer over time. Amen? And listen, it happens with every one of us if you'll take part in your own sanctification. Amen? 
but you have to take part. God will do his part. God will bring about repentance. God will bring about conviction. God will bring about the the teaching of truth to you and the renewing of your mind by his Holy Spirit. And there's a part of it that's his, but there's also a part of it that's ours to continually be striving after. I was just reading in in, uh, 2 Timothy this morning, he said, take hold of eternal life. Paul wrote to Timothy, take hold of that that's been done for you. Take hold of that that, that that God has done for you. There's a part of it that's our responsibility to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of me, right? He wrote in Philippians. But uh, anyway, would you do that? And uh, anyway, as we, read about the, uh, as we read about what it is to be a mature Christian, uh, I, I pray that these words would, 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 would uh, really settle in your minds and your hearts and that you would see where you're at. Now, there are not many who would be elders. Matter of fact, the term in the, New T- in the Old Testament for elders referred to chin or, or, uh, or beard, right? It meant men who were, who were kind of whitish, kind of snowy on the chin, right? They were elders. Why? Because they'd been walking with the Lord for a long period of time. That doesn't happen early in life, right? It doesn't happen early in life. Over years of walking with the Lord, there's a slow transformation to, for him to make us like he wants us, amen? And uh, all you got to do, all, what I want to ask you to do, participate. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be in meditation on the word and what it means, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we read through these uh, qualifications of elders, Lord God, it is a, boy, it is a, that is a tall order. It, it is hard for us to be uh, the same person in church and out of church. It's, it's hard to be to show a, a devotion to your word, a devotion to prayer. It's hard to be always minded toward serving and caring and shepherding for, for other people uh, when we have so much going on in our own lives. And Lord, we know this is not the, this is not the majority of the church. This is a select few who've, who've walked with the Lord for a number of years and have matured and, and have, are sincere and sober and, and serious about their walk with you, Lord God. And so, Father, we pray that you would raise up men to be elders within this church body, Lord God. We pray now, Lord God, that you would be already, uh, that you have, have placed that calling and those giftings on those men to be able to serve here well and to serve and to care for this church body and these people that you love so dearly that you gave up your life for them. So, Father, we, we take this very seriously. Um, we take this with uh, uh, a very serious respect for um, what you're doing in other people's lives. But, Lord, make it true in ours as well. I pray that you'd be maturing us every day, that as we walk with you in, in discipline and self-control and with a desire to, to love you more and to be more obedient, Lord God, we pray uh, for more uh, uh, abiding with you. We pray for a greater revelation of you, Lord God, we pray. And, uh, Lord, we pray for your guidance above all. We ask this in the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Y'all have a great day. Lord bless you.